Hello and welcome to Under the Surface, a podcast that takes a closer look at advances in marine science and innovation. I'm your host, Neil James, and in Series 1, The Pollution Experience, we talk to experts dealing with issues and solutions surrounding marine plastics and oil pollution in the north. Hello and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Nina O'Hanlon, who is based in Scotland and is a research ecologist at the British Trust for Ornithology. I'll be talking to Nina about their work on the interaction of plastics and seabirds, and in particular, the incorporation of debris into nests. Hi, Nina, and welcome to the podcast. Hi. Uh, So for the people who don't know who you are, can you tell us who you are and where you work and, and what your interests are? Yeah, so as you said, I'm a research ecologist and that's in the marine and wetland team at BTO. So kind of focusing mainly on seabirds and it's quite a varied role. So lots of analysing tracking data and a bit of field work and writing papers and reports. So so which species do you are you looking at the moment? Which ones uh, take up your time? So at the moment, we've been looking at Arctic skewers, which is quite exciting. So the BTO has been tracking with geolocators, so where the birds are going in the winter and how where they migrate to their wintering grounds. We've also some colleagues from um, Norway, Svalbard and the Faroe Islands. And so we're looking at that data and seeing if there's any areas in the sea which they use more than others. So it was for staging areas on their migration and um, looking if individuals from different populations are going to different areas, which is really exciting because they go, some birds are going off South Africa and others down like South Argentina. So they cover a vast area during the kind of number reading in the wintering areas. Oh, great stuff. Well, it certainly sounds like it's going to keep you busy anyway. Um, So today we're going to be talking about your work on plastics and birds. Now, would you be able to tell us kind of how you got involved in this and, and what your work was on? Yeah, so this was um, as a seabird ecologist at the Environmental Research Institute, so part of the University of the Highlands and Islands. And um, so this was part of two different projects, so First Circular Ocean and then Blue Circular Economy. And we were kind of looking at the interactions between seabirds and plastics, so both through um, ingestion and um, nesting cooperation and kind of entanglement. And so... So we were kind of like researching knowledge gaps and trying to find out more about basically how to the extent to which seabirds, especially in northeast um, Europe, are impacted by plastic pollution. Uh, So which birds are eating plastics, did you find? So we were kind of focused on the northeast Atlantic. So we were trying to figure out basically what was the current state of knowledge and what um, knowledge gaps were. So we found that there was quite a range of species, so particularly things like fulmers. So fulmers are well known for ingesting plastic because they forage on the sea surface so they can quite easily pick up bits of plastic um, instead of food. So things like fulmers and also kind of shearwater, so other species that pick up things from the, on the, um, the surface of the sea. But then also gulls as well. So obviously gulls are quite varied in what they eat. So they quite often, if they're foraging in, for example, landfill areas or areas associated with kind of human food and they will readily ingest plastic as well. So what type of plastics are we talking about? Are we talking about balloons or pieces of plastic or or rope? Yeah, again, so it's quite varied. So it's usually fragments of plastic they've ingested because they're quite small pieces generally. So for the former's example, it's quite often hard fragments of plastic. And with the gauze, it's a bit more varied because they can um, regurgitate the plastic. So you can sometimes find whole kind of wrappers of 
food wrappers in there so kind of more sheet like plastic as well as your kind of hard plastics and so much more kind of um discarded consumer items and and also once you so there's different ways which you can look at ingestion so you've got the opening up the stomachs or kind of looking inside pellets but you can also look at things like feces and when you go to that level you can look at kind of microplastics and quite often then you find like little tiny bits of fed like plastic and so kind of like small um from potentially like fleeces or kind of from broken down fishing um, nets that kind of plastic so ingesting plastics obviously can't be good for the birds what sort of damage can it do the biggest damage, I guess, if, is when if you're ingesting big particles and that can cause damage to the internal bits, so kind of in the stomach, so lesions in the stomach and they can like block the um, digestive tract. So that's kind of like the kind of most obvious um, impact, kind of direct impact ingestion can have on birds. But there's also lots of uh, potential sublethal impacts and that's where it's a little bit more difficult to understand. So for example, just from a buildup of small plastics, so if the bird's feeding full, then it might not feed anymore and then birds can with stomachs full of plastic and die of starvation and then you've also got the, the kind of negative impact on the birds from having um, associated with the contaminants which might adhere to the plastics and we, we still don't really fully understand those more kind of sublethal effects on individuals. So there's a whole range of ways in which plastics can impact the birds then. Do we know how many birds are killed by ingesting plastics? So I wouldn't say we necessarily know numbers. As I say, it's quite difficult to always associate dead birds with um, the kind of direct cause of death or mortality being ingested plastic or even kind of entanglement. But we know that a lot of species are affected. So, for example, over kind of 56% of seabird species are known to have interacted, kind of have become entangled or incorporate plastics into their nest, while about 40% of species are known to have ingested plastic. So we know that it's kind of common almost like in, in seabirds, but we don't necessarily know the numbers involved. And I, and I guess birds are not only impacted by plastics as well, they're... they're um suffering other pressures as well. Yeah, exactly. So seabirds are some of our most threatened birds globally, and there's a whole range of different threats they um, encounter. So, for example, to do with overfishing and bycatch, as well as climate change and invasive species. And so when you've got all these kind of different threats, and plastic is just one of those and other contaminants, and so it's quite sometimes hard to determine kind of the additional mortality on seabirds caused by uh, plastic compared to all these other threats that they're having to contend with. What would you say we can learn from your research? What are the next steps that we need to take? So one of the big things from when we were looking, so we basically did a large literature view when we were first looking into this. And so that's where we kind of were finding out the current state of knowledge and kind of synthesizing that and thinking about, okay, so how can we improve on that knowledge? For example, a lot of the work current published um, literature on ingestion was some of it was really old and quite a lot of it was just from like single colonies or single species so we don't necessarily have a kind of large a good understanding of kind of the the impact of plastics over a larger geographical or temporal scale the exception to that is the former where there is a really good monitoring program 
based around the North Sea, um, largely thanks to researchers in the Netherlands who kind of started collecting beach formers. And then so through that over since the 70s, we can kind of monitor the situation um, in formers. And that generally tells us, tells us not necessarily what the impact on the formers are, but how much plastic might be, almost as like a kind of indicator of how much plastic might be in the North Sea and other areas. What we kind of found from that is that for most species, we don't have this good data, especially, so we also looked at um, kind of entanglement and nesting cooperation. And there was even less quantitative kind of published studies on that side of thing. So I guess the key recommendations were to have kind of... Um, we need to kind of collaborate across different countries and between organisations to kind of collate all this data so we can understand the kind of the extent of it and um, try and quantify the impact on individuals, but also more importantly, populations. And could you describe what you mean by nesting cooperation of debris? Yeah, so... So quite a lot of seabirds will incorporate debris into their nest. Um, for example, species like gannets and gulls, they build nests on the surface and they generally use vegetation, so whether that's terrestrial vegetation or seaweed, to build their nests. But they're frequently incorporating plastics and other debris into the nest. And that means, especially if it's more fed-like plastic, such as um, netting or ropes, which quite easily could look like... Um, vegetation or seaweed then the birds and particularly the young birds can get entangled in that in the nest and that means obviously the young birds can't fledge so basically if they the potential of entanglement and dying on the nest if they can't get away from the nest and so our birds birds are dying by becoming entangled in nests are they yeah, so for example, on Grassholm, which is a large um, Gaelic colony in South Wales, a huge amount of, about 80, more than 80% of the nests on the island um, have got plastic in them. And it's about, there's estimated a huge amount of plastic on the island. And each year the RSV go, will go and try and cut free as many gannets as they can at the end of the season, but they, can, they have to wait until the end of the season to prevent disturbance. And so they try and cut free as many birds as they, um, they can, but each year, a number of birds, sometimes up to 60 birds, um, die because they've not been able to be cut free from the nest. Now, I understand you, you have then continued so your work on nesting corporation of debris. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so once we figured out that there was kind of this um, knowledge gaps in our kind of the quantitative data on nesting corporation, we decided that's kind of, unlike um, ingestion which is quite hard to determine unless you kind of physically have a dead bird and you can or you physically have a bird and you can look into its stomach it's quite difficult to monitor so whereas entanglement in nesting cooperation is a lot more straightforward especially in kind of colonial seabirds when you've got a lot of birds in one area so first so it seemed a good opportunity to collect more data on on the issue so we can kind of understand the extent of it in different species and so first we concentrated on the gannet because that's known if, if you kind of google the pictures of gannets and seaweed colonies quite often you'll see pictures with lots of colorful netting in their nests and we know that they get entangled in it and so we we kind of visited some colonies ourselves and also got people working with gannets globally, kind of in the enormous hemisphere across their range to collect data for us so that we could kind of bring all that together just to show. And I think we had data from over 7,000 nests from 29 colonies and virtually all of those colonies had um, plastic in the nests to some extent. So some had much more than others. And that kind of variety of plastics in nests was associated with kind of the extent of fishing activity in the area because most of the 
again, it's generally collect kind of fed like plastic, and also the um, the age of the colony. So the gannets be build these massive kind of pedestal nests if they don't get kind of washed away in the winter. And so over time, the plastic just kind of accumulates in the colony. So the older colonies had more plastic in them. And then once we kind of focus on gannets, we wanted to focus to see what the situation was like in other seabird species. So and again, it's quite there's a lot of seabirds and a lot of colonies and you can't visit them all so again we made fantastic use of uh, researchers and uh, ringers and just members of the public who are visiting these different seabird colonies across kind of mainly in the UK but also across Norway and Iceland and asked them to record not only the number of nests which had plastic but also where possible the type of plastic so for example if it was kind of fishing um, or consumer plastics like sheet plastic or um, fishing net and then we can try and understand potentially where that plastic has come from as well as kind of the amount of it in these birds nests i imagine it's quite hard to try and track where the plastic is coming from but is there one type of plastic which you found to be more common than others yeah so like i say definitely for the gannets and also for things like kitty weights and fed like plastic was definitely the most common because i suppose like it resembles vegetation and that almost almost most of it will be coming from kind of fishing activities so whether that's kind of lost or discarded fishing nets and that's what was really nice working with blue circular economy and um circular ocean because they were trying to figure out how to kind of reduce that fishing gear in ending up in the sea and then therefore kind of ending up in seabird nests and with other species like for example gulls and shags they will collect anything in the nest so you could quite often get plastic bottles or kind of discarded beach toys and so that's kind of the more focus is kind of consumer so kind of kind of educating people not to dispose of stuff um and obviously just generally reducing the amount of plastic that we use and get, ends up in the environment other than gannets which species had the most plastics in their nests so we we kind of group species so for example we had um data from a few gull species um and the, so the gulls were quite it was quite variable so i think we we got there was about 10,000 nests that were monitored across um 84 colonies and gulls and shags were kind of the most frequently found to have debris incorporated in them and that would vary from some colonies having lots, like nearly all of the nests had plastic in and others with none. So it's quite variable depending on the location. But they were the kind of two main species, the gulls and the shags. What was also kind of maybe surprising, most of the seabirds that were monitored were kind of nest surface nesters because that's where people could view the nests. But in um, Svalbard, there was also, we got, also got a little bit of data from a couple of colonies on puffins and um, what was in the puffin burrows. And we were surprised that quite a few of those um, burrows had little fragments of plastic in. So the puffins don't necessarily build nests, but they will line their burrows with bits of vegetation or paper or potentially little bits of fishing line as well. And so that was quite a surprise because in the UK, at least, the puffins usually burrow so deep, it's quite hard to kind of look into their, their burrows, although there is kind of anecdotal records, for example, on the Isle of May, that some of the puffins there have had little bits of plastic in their nests. So there might be a lot more plastic that's hidden from our view. Definitely, yeah. So it's not just not just the surface nesting birds. So I understand that you monitored a lot of the nests yourself, but also you relied on a lot of other um, contributors as well. How important would you say that they were to um, helping you to understand this problem? So important. So we would never have visited, we would never have got so much data from so many kind of varied colonies and species if we hadn't kind of relied on other people because you could only visit so many colonies within a. Um, 
within a season and then you've got to also think about the kind of um, logistics and time to get in some of these colonies and then also the kind of carbon associated with that if you're travelling to some of these kind of remote islands um, and so it was we had a fantastic response and it's kind of like a balance between needing kind of stand, really kind of standardised data but also where that isn't always possible then it's really important to have kind of more opportunistic data because obviously some data is better than none and we can start to kind of understand like which areas might could we could focus on in the future more with kind of more standardized monitoring so how would you estimate the amount of plastic in each nest how would you go about that so yes that's a really good question and it's quite difficult so because we so there's, there's a different ways and so in in some ways, quite a lot of the data was just presence or absence of different um, plastic types because we were quite conscious of not asking too much of people, especially volunteers. However, it is really important to know whether a nest is just one piece of plastic or it's completely full of plastic. And one way we did that with the gannets was to um, kind of visually in the field estimate, for example, whether 5, 10, 20% of the nest had um, debris. But that can be quite subjective. So it's fine if the same person is doing that. But if you have different people at different colonies, then that might introduce biases. So with um, so we also had a look at photographs. So if you take photo, taking photographs of the nest, it's great because then you can look at different methods and then you've got a record of how much um, debris or plastic is in a nest. And so we had a visiting researcher from um, Tasmania, so Megan Grant, and she used these photographs and had a method of basically putting grids over it. And so um, so you can put grids over it and then you can try and quantify less subjectively the amount of debris in a nest. And if you do that between different people, then it's a lot less subjective than just kind of estimating without having, having the same kind of grid system. So that's a really good option, uh, which um, if people take photographs, then we can use to kind of quantify the amount of debris in this. That's fantastic. So it sounds like a, a lot of research going on. So what would you say the most important outcomes of your work on plastics and birds has been? So I guess there's probably a few aspects. So first of all, with that initial kind of synthesis is just highlighting what we don't know, which is also always important to kind of next steps of what what kind of where to focus uh, future research and monitoring and just highlighting the extent of it so kind of the number of species and the kind of how widespread it is in different colonies of the number of species which are kind of incorporating seeming um, plastic into their nests even that's a bit we kind of focus more on um, and I guess also in terms of just highlighting that it's not just a marine issue so kind of aside from the research we were doing on the seabirds we also set up a database birds and debris to kind of so anyone could upload images from any species anywhere in the world and again it just highlights that although a lot of the research is focused on in the marine environment then it that's also an issue in terrestrial and freshwater um, environments too especially given that a lot of our uh, kind of plastic pollution enters seas for rivers it's not surprising that a lot of our water birds are also incorporating and then getting entangled in debris as well so could you tell me more about birds and debris is this a citizen science project yeah, so it's basically like a, an online database where anyone can upload an image if they come across um, an entangled bird or a bird, um, a nest with um, debris incorporated in it. And so you can just upload your photo and just say what species it is, if you know, um, and or you don't even need a photo. If you just come across something, you can write a description. And it's basically just to collate all this kind of more anecdotal data so we can use it not only as kind of like to try and again highlight that it's not just a marine issue but also to see if we can look at any trends in that data 
And we can also then, especially if people take photos, we can look at the types of plastic that's getting incorporated. So, for example, is it sheet-like or plastic or hard, plastic like plastic bottles or balloons? So you can kind of narrow down um, what kind of items are involved. Oh, fantastic. That's a really good way of quantifying and, and also trying to understand where the plastic is and which birds are impacted as well. From your research, was there anything that you found that was particularly surprising, would you say? So, yeah, so I guess the biggest surprises were, um, and I guess this is kind of like a bad surprise, is just how extensive it was in some of the, especially the Gannet colonies. So you'd get these colonies where nearly all the nests were kind of had lots of debris incorporated in them. And then we did come across a couple of kind of entangled birds, which is never nice to see. Um, we, we kind of, the other important thing is not only recording the amount of plastic in the nest or the kind of the number of nests for debris in them, but also whether there is any kind of entanglement of chicks and adults. Um, and we kind of didn't find a huge number, but we're also not looking at the best time of year. So the timing to look at nesting cooperation is kind of early in the season before the nest is covered in basically seabird guano and the big chicks. Whereas if you look at entanglement, you kind of want to visit the colony at the end of the season where you can kind of record whether any birds have been entangled. And then I suppose the other surprising was just, again, kind of the number of photographs on birds and debris, which weren't seabirds and were in kind of more terrestrial and freshwater habitats to just kind of highlight that the kind of wider extent of the issue and that we can't just focus on the marine environment. Now, as an ornithologist with uh, interests in conservation, did you find it hard seeing all these pictures of, of birds which were injured or, or had died? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not pleasant at all. Um, and especially because I think it's worse when you know that it's because of us. It's like it could be completely avoidable if we kind of were more careful in our kind of waste management and weren't so, didn't produce so much plastic. So I think that's the hardest thing. So we've seen these kind of amazing birds entangled and all ingesting plastic, but kind of realizing that it is, we can do something to prevent it. So what would your advice be to members of the public who want to prevent birds from coming to harm from plastics? So I think it's just generally like being aware of kind of how much plastic you're using. So kind of especially single use items, but kind of all like obviously plastic is not bad. It's really useful for a lot of things, especially reusable plastics. But it's just generally being aware of kind of what we're purchasing and then what we do to those items when we're finished with them and making sure that they're disposed of properly. And it's also kind of making sure that we push for governments and um, industry to make changes because it needs to come from come both sides, from bottom up and top down. So we need kind of manufacturers to think about the life cycle of products to make sure that items can be kind of reused or easily recycled or basically kind of what's going to happen when that item comes to the end of its kind of usable life. <clears throat> um, and making sure that we kind of have these international and national um, policies to prevent um, plastics entering the environment. So everyone needs to do their bit from every level, from members of the public all the way up to governmental level. Yeah, definitely. So is there any changes that you've made as a result of working on plastics and birds? Have you Have you made any changes to anything that you do? Yeah, definitely. So so completely kind of like reducing the amount, like I say, especially kind of single-use items. Um, so and trying to avoid anything that is packaged, like buying anything that is like overly packaged in plastic. And just simple things like using hard shampoo instead of and soap instead of having like lots of plastic bottles. Um, 
and having like kind of like bamboo toothbrushes. And then what's really cool, which I think is becoming more common, is um, so in Fursa now we have a kind of um, a loose shop so that we can go in with our kind of reusable Tupperware boxes and get things like pasta and rice so you've not got all the plastic associated with that from the shops as well. Um, and some things, some things like that are quite simple and easy to, to do. So um, so yes, definitely lots over the last few years oh, compared to previously. Fantastic. So in terms of research on seabirds and plastics, what would you say the biggest challenges are? So I think the biggest challenges is understanding these kind of population impacts, which I think is still the most hard, most difficult thing. So we might know that lots of... Um, nests have plastic in them and we know that birds like individual birds are ingesting plastics and we know that that causes mortality to individuals but what we don't have a handle on is what the population impacts are so that is definitely the biggest challenge so understanding that so not only kind of the direct mortality but what either ingestion or nesting cooperation what impact that has on kind of productivity or the birds behavior so there's so many unanswered questions around that that are kind of the highest priority going forward. So lots of work still needs to be done to even understand what the current impacts of plastics on birds are. So if you were given £10 million to continue your work on birds and plastics, what would you do and what would you prioritise? So like I say, so the biggest priority would be to um, to understand these sublethal effects and there's different ways that that can be done. So that would be the highest priority. So looking at these sublethal effects, what what does having different contaminants on the plastic mean for um, for birds, especially in terms of ingestion, that's probably the biggest impact. Will probably be will be kind of birds ingesting plastic, and not even the kind of and not not just the macroplastic and what kind of impact that might have, causing lesions, like I said, or blocking the um, the stomach of birds, but also thinking about the micro or even nanoplastic. So what happens when this plastic gets into the bloodstream or the brain? Like what impacts might that have on the birds' kind of physiology? or breeding behaviour um, and then associated that so we can only understand those kind of factors if we have good data on on seabirds and plastic so that's where the kind of monitoring comes in so making sure there's like a really good monitoring program which covers different species and locations and over like the long term so we can see when patterns arise see when um kind of look at changes in ingestion and entanglement over time um, and that has to be kind of I'd say between multiple countries over a large scale because we know plastic can travel far and wide and then the only kind of way we, we're going to know if the kind of impact of plastic on birds at a population level if we have good data on those seabirds so kind of it becomes much wider than that in understanding kind of seabird populations and their demography so that we can link um, the kind of impacts of plastics um, to population changes and how that interacts with all these other threats that seabirds are um, encountering so it's kind of like a huge so yeah kind of <laughs> you're basically data on everything so you can pin down the kind of impact of certain stresses such as plastics and then I guess the third strand is just like keeping the awareness keeping in people's minds and how kind of like as you said individuals industry and governments can kind of reduce the, the issue so that it's not impacting seabirds into the into the future fantastic so a big holistic kind of approach is yes. needed fantastic nina it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and it just remains for me to say thank you very much that's been great talking to you thank you Neil.
Under the Surface is part of the Popcorn Project. Popcorn is funded by the Northern Periphery and Arctic Programme, part of the European Union's Interreg Programme.